Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. So we left off last week with Jesus' resurrection. He conquered every aspect of death for those who choose to accept his sacrifice and follow him. And then for 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus continues to hang out periodically with his disciples and a lot of other people as well, teaching them about the kingdom. And it's, can you imagine that time? That'd be such a mind-blowing experience to be a part of that moment in history, wouldn't it? The disciples are ready to go tell everyone about who Jesus is, but Jesus actually tells them, wait, wait in Jerusalem until you receive a new kind of power. It's just like he instructed him before his death in John 14, where Jesus says this. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. And he's speaking to the disciples now, for he dwells with you. And then he shifts and he speaks to them and all of us today and will be in you. And then Jesus goes further in John 16 and says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come, but if I go, I will send him to you. So let's just back up a second. Remember, these disciples have been with Jesus for a few years by this time, and they were captivated by him, watching him heal the blind and the lame and calm the seas and raise people from the dead and, and, and debate the biggest minds and religious leaders of his day with such amazing winsomeness and grace. They had arranged their entire lives around one thing, to be with Jesus. He gave their lives meaning and purpose. And now Jesus is telling them he's going to die. So they begin to panic. I'm never going to hear Jesus' voice speak about the Father's love. I'm never going to see his hand touch another person and perform a miracle. Jesus comforts them, though, and says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send another helper, and he will be even more helpful to you than I am. He'll be better for you than when I'm with you, he's saying. And I'm sure they didn't believe him when he said that. And yet it's true. It is more advantageous for them and for us now to have the Holy Spirit than it would be for Jesus to be walking in our midst right now in a bodily form. So let's skip forward again to after the resurrection. The disciples are with Jesus, and he's telling them, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But they're still confused. So in Acts 1, they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So, See, the apostles are still thinking in the paradigm that the kingdom of God means that Israel will be a free and independent kingdom from Rome, their own empire. So they ask, when will this take place? And a few verses later, Jesus says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So get this, Jesus doesn't answer their question. Instead, he lays out the game plan going forward. He says to them, 
I want you to start witnessing for me once the Holy Spirit comes on you at home in Jerusalem, and I want you to expand that to all the tribes of Israel, and I want you to take that to the ends of the earth to all people. The kingdom, he's saying, is going to explode to a whole new level. And this little crew of disenfranchised followers will become this really big, diverse, complex thing we know today as Christianity that spans the globe. Then he goes on and says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. He ascends into heaven. So the disciples are kind of waiting and praying and wondering, where's this power going to come from? Ten days later, we pick up the story in Acts 2, and it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome and both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, saying, oh, they're all filled with new wine. They're drunk. So what is it about this? God's presence is often seen throughout the Bible in fire and wind, in history at various points of prominence. God spoke to Moses through a bush that was burning, but it didn't burn up. God's presence showed up in a wind and fire on Mount Sinai at the, at the giving of the covenant to Israel and the giving of the Ten Commandments. As the Israelites traveled in the wilderness, God came to live with them in a pillar of fire and over a tent-like temple called the tabernacle. Later, when Solomon built the first stone temple in Jerusalem, he prayed and dedicated the temple, and it says, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the offer, burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of God filled the temple. I mean, we, there's many other examples. God shows up in fire and wind at times in history when his presence shows up in really prominent ways. But, but let's pull this together, uh, especially into the reason why God chose the Feast of Pentecost to pour out his spirit on his believers. So every year, the Jews from all over back in that time would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for one or more of three feasts God commanded his people to celebrate. One is the Feast of the Tabernacles. It actually originates in the giving of the law and the renewing of the covenant between Israel and God. It goes back to the Ten Commandments and the time of the mountain. The Feast of the Passover, it marked Israel's freedom and deliverance from Egypt. And the slaughtering of the lamb, you remember that, and putting it on the doorposts and all that stuff and getting out of Egypt, that, that's all part of that. And then there is the Feast of Pentecost. It simply means 50. 
Because it's 50 days after the Passover, Exodus refers to this time as the Feast of Harvest and of First Fruits. So 50 days after the Passover, when the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ occurred, there are still people in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Pentecost. The city at that time would be packed five to six times the normal size. Jews and followers of God from all different cultures and languages converge upon Jerusalem. They come to the current locus of where God's activity is, the Ark of the Covenant, the Temple, the Holy of Holies, the place where God would manifest himself. And the text says 120 followers of Jesus are all together in one place praying, and suddenly a violent rushing wind comes with fire hovering over each one of their heads. They don't know what hit them. They start to speak in other languages. They can't comprehend what's going on. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. People passing through by, by in the streets hear them proclaiming the glory and grace of God in their own languages and the, the languages that the disciples never learned and didn't even understand. I mean, this is an incredible miracle, an incredible moment in history. Then Peter gets up. And he tries to explain what is happening. And he says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. So Peter addresses the skeptics and with the argument that they're not drunk, it's only nine in the morning. I mean, come on, it's too early to be drunk. That's a pretty good argument. I kind of wish you would have gone on and said, hey guys, they're speaking perfect Parthenian or whatever language they spoke. Do you speak perfect Parthenian when you're drunk? Being drunk doesn't make you a linguistic specialist, does it? Not even in your own language. Peter goes on. He says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So just let's, let's step back from what the text actually says for a moment. This is Peter, who 50 days earlier denied who Jesus was, and is now filled with such boldness that he stands up in front of the skeptics, the cynics, and everyone who crucified Jesus, saying, this is a new day that God has brought. God's plan was to bring peace and justice to the world. So here they are gathering for this feast of all the different people from all the tribes of Israel, and they meet this alive Messiah through the Spirit coming upon them. Peter actually quotes the prophet Joel from the Old Testament. And, and others said this too, foretelling that God's spirit would take up residence in his people. Meaning, each person would now be a little mobile temple. That is where God now dwells. Not in a temple of stone, but in each of his followers. So 2,000 years later, we too have that same promise. We are designed to house the Spirit of God. When you come to faith in Jesus, as the, the Spirit takes up residence in you, the Holy Spirit is for everyone who will follow Jesus. Jesus says, I will be with you. I mean, the Spirit made an 
epic quantum change in the way things work in this moment. It was no longer a physical building that the Spirit of God dwelt in, but in the walking, talking temples of the people. Paul actually says it this way in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Uh, uh, you know, so as a result of the experience on that Pentecost day, thousands of those travelers in Jerusalem start to follow Jesus and they too are filled with the Spirit and they actually become the first wave of missionaries back to their own homelands. So today, let's just spend the rest of the time on examining what it really means as followers of Jesus to have the Holy Spirit living within us. First, the Holy Spirit is a person not an it. The Holy Spirit is a unique person of the Trinity and not simply an impersonal power or force or influence in it. He has the attributes of a person. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as a person. The Holy Spirit has personal relationships, has a will, performs miracles, guides, intercedes, is to be obeyed, communicates with us, can be lied to, resisted, grieved, and insulted. All things that personal people can do and be. Second, the Holy Spirit is one both with the Father and with the Son. I mean, sometimes I think the Holy Spirit is treated as the third wheel instead of the co-equal person of the Trinity that he is. We have the Father and Son, and and then we kind of think, well, what do we do with the Holy Spirit? I mean, we, we may feel a little bit uncomfortable with the Holy Spirit, which can lead us to actually ignoring the presence of God in our lives, his Spirit in our lives. And we discovered in John 14 and 16 that both the Father and the Son We're going to send the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the activity of the Spirit is never in isolation from Jesus and the Father. The Spirit has always been God, with God. On page one of the Bible, before the creation ever began, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the dark, disordered waters of the earth, ready to begin spreading goodness and his creation. We don't really want to ignore one-third of the Godhead. We need all of God. The Holy Spirit is God himself. His nearness, his power, anywhere, anytime. There's more potential than we realize when we engage more fully with the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. So third, God is not just with us. As we said before, he is in us. Some of us may shy away from describing the Holy Spirit as the, the way they used to the Holy Ghost, as some translations refer to him. But I think it's actually kind of valuable to look at that word. The Old English word as ghost uh, actually comes from the Anglo-Saxon word, which we now get our word guest from. It's a reminder for us how the Holy Spirit is an ever-present guest in the life of every believer. You never have to wake him up. You never have to interrupt him when you call him, morning, noon, or night. He's there inside you, available to give you power, guidance, and comfort when you need it, where you need it. See, that's why Jesus told his disciples that they would not be like orphans when he left. With the Holy Spirit that would come, they would never be without the divine teacher. The Holy Spirit goes with us everywhere we go, faces Every experience we face confronts every decision we confront and shows us 
the way to go if we'll pay attention to him. John, therefore, tells us that anything we face is tiny in comparison to whatever it is. He says this, who, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, referring to the spirit in our lives. So fourth, we have access to all the power and wisdom we need to follow God. Jesus promised when the Holy Spirit came, he, we would receive power to be God's representatives And we see it in the book of Acts, right? That's exactly what happened. A group of followers, many who had been hiding in fear behind locked doors, received power to speak out. And as a result, 3,000 people come to faith in one day alone on the day of Pentecost. I mean, think about the transformation that took place from fear to boldness in their lives. And the Holy Spirit still empowers us as Christians today to speak as confidently as Peter did. And to pray for others. We're going to talk more about that next week. Fifth, we can stifle or quench the Holy Spirit. There's actually a scripture that actually says that really explicitly. We stifle, think about this in our own relationships. We stifle or stop others from talking to us or telling us, telling us something that, by, by just simply saying stop talking. Or sometimes we, we stop, we quench them and stop it by ignoring them or, or sometimes we actually listen and we hear the warning that somebody gives us and the guidance to invite us to some, doing something better in a more healthy way. And, and we just kind of diss them and do whatever we want to do on our own, right? It's the same with God. We can stifle the Holy Spirit in our lives in the same way. How have you done this? I know I have. How have you done this? Maybe it's when you sense you shouldn't do something, but you go ahead and do it anyway. Maybe it's when you know you should take a time out, but instead you, you choose to yell harsh words. When you sense God asking you to care for someone or do something for someone and you just don't want to because it's too inconvenient it goes out to go out of your way. See, if, if you or I ever avoid listening to those prompts of the Holy Spirit, at some level we are quenching the Holy Spirit. Sixth, the Holy Spirit is our advocate. So what does that mean? As we saw in John 14 and 16, Jesus told his disciples he'd send the helper. That actual Greek word translated is parakletos, and it's actually another way to translate it is advocate, one who advocates for you. The word speaks of comfort and protection and counsel and just being there for you. It's actually fascinating, too. It can also be used, it was also used in Jesus' day as a battle formation where the two Roman soldiers would stand back to back with their shield position in front of them so that they literally cover each other's back. Don't you love that? It's like the Holy Spirit says to you, I've got your back. John 14 says, the Holy Spirit leads us into all what? Does he say comfort? No. Although the Holy Spirit does bring comfort, what it really says is he, the Holy Spirit, leads us into all truth. Now, I don't know about you, but I want comfort. You want comfort, but if your comforts, if comforts our goal, then we will settle for the Holy Spirit leading us into just partial truth. Because there are, frankly, some things that I think any of us don't want to know about ourselves and don't want to have to face about ourselves. And when we settle for partial truth, we will not grow, nor will we actually get any kind of true comfort. Have you ever had someone in your life who is willing to be honest with you and even get in your face if needed? 
And you kind of both hate them, but you really love them too. I mean, those are the people that we really need in our lives that bring a beautiful power to full dimension to help us grow. And that's really what the Holy Spirit does as well, is brings that beautiful, powerful dimension to our lives. Yet if the goal of our life is comfort, then we don't really want to offend anybody, do we? So even though you may see a big problem and the Holy Spirit might be prompting you to talk to them and encourage them to go a different way, you might say, oh, you're fine. Trust me, you're fine. Looks like your arm is falling off, but you're really okay. See, our objective is to help them feel better to bring comfort when they really need truth. And when we do this, we're not helping anybody. The Holy Spirit brings comfort by leading us into all truth, revealing things so that we can experience growth and change in our lives if we're willing to go there. And that's the question, isn't it? Are we willing to go there with the Holy Spirit? I think some of us are frustrated because it seems like God is silent. I can't hear him. I don't know why he's not speaking to me. We've said this before. When that's the case for you, go back to the last place you heard or sensed the Holy Spirit. Was there something you were doing? that you were tuned out God's voice over because you, you didn't want to deal with the convictions of what right and wrong were that he was trying to bring up to you. Maybe it was something he wanted you to do. The Holy Spirit's telling you to do something and you don't want to hear it. But, that, but see, going back to that place and then learning to obey, that's the only way we're going to get where God wants us to go. See, this is where we start to pray, God, Holy Spirit, just forgive me for grieving you, for not listening to you. I need you, and I want you to help me change, and I want you to help me to do anything you ask me to do. And seventh, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. It says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you a remembrance all that I've said to you. That's a great promise, isn't it? We underestimate the way the Holy Spirit wants to empower us and, and enlighten us and help us do and be what he wants us to do and be. The Holy Spirit will bring to the surface something we've forgotten at times. Often it's a Bible verse, a truth we need to remember, which is really another exhortation that we really need to keep listening to and reading the Bible. I mean, it, it just makes it much easier for the Holy Spirit to bring something to the memory if it's actually in there first, Right? All at the beginning. Sometimes the Holy Spirit brings back a memory, maybe, maybe someone you need to forgive and, or a place he's wanting to bring more of his truth into your life and healing to or something he'd like you to do, someone he'd like for us to call and check on and, and, and care for in some way. Or learning to be led by the Holy Spirit means we step out on those hunches and we act on them and we do what we think the Spirit might be leading us to do. And then we learn, is it really him? And when he shows up. Let's just kind of summarize as we wrap. Jesus ascended to heaven having the promise of the Holy Spirit to come to us, to reside in each person who chooses to follow Jesus. And Jesus tells them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I think we tend to gloss over that. But I want to stop and look a little bit more and think about just this little bit more. The word power there is dunamis. 
That's the Greek word from which we get dynamite. There are many translations of this word, but one means explosive power. When the Holy Spirit came on the disciples, they were never the same, radically changed. From that day forward, they were so bold. Everywhere they went, things shifted. People who were dead and dry in religious worship suddenly encountered a God who was alive and compelling and powerful and transformed them. People were healed. The blind eyes were opened. People who were absolute skeptics or evil became followers and were free and became good people. This is the continued invitation we see in the Bible to engage more fully in God's mission in the world to engage in his transforming power. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul tells us the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the same Spirit that lives in each and every believer. So here's a question. Are you a follower of Jesus? If so, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Soak that in for a moment. If we truly understand that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is present in our lives, how would we live different? How would we think about life differently? See, here's the heart behind this message. I think we often ignore the Holy Spirit, and it's to our loss and detriment. As a result, there are dimensions of love and joy and power and purpose and mission that we have not yet experienced because they are only possible with the Holy Spirit's help. It actually reminds me of the great devotional writer A.W. Tozer. He said this. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. So I think a question for you and me and all of us to wrestle with, is there really only 5% of your life where you're relying on the Holy Spirit right now? How can each one of us flip that number in our lives? Today and this week, I'd like for you to consider these questions and ask for the Holy Spirit to lead you into this truth. They're on screen. You can take a screenshot if you want, or you can see it online when you get home. What am I doing without the Holy Spirit on my own rather than relying on expecting the Holy Spirit to show up in my life? Maybe it's uh, what sin am I seeking to overcome? What challenges area am I seeking to grow in? What difficult person am I being called and asked to love well? How am I risking to do that which I couldn't do apart from the power of the Holy Spirit? Allow the Holy Spirit to come to you and just invite you to a transforming power in your own life and in your relationships with others through those questions this week. So as we close with worship, let our hearts declare and celebrate the Holy Spirit's work. If you believe in Jesus and choose to follow him, His limitless capacities and capabilities are resident inside of you to enable you to accomplish truly God-sized things. So remember, you are now the mobile temple of God. 
bringing His Spirit's presence to earth wherever you are this week. So as we stand right now, and I'm going to pray, and then as we worship, I just want to, I just want to begin to declare that through this worship song for each one of us to, to come out of ourselves, even if we've struggled with the Holy Spirit, and declare He is with us and He wants to change things through us. So would you stand? Lord, I just pray that your spirit would just come in an even more powerful way. Lord, you are here with us always. You're in every single person here who believes in you, and you are inviting every single person who is not committed to you to come to you and know what it's like to never be left alone, to have your power within them to solve problems, to give wisdom, to heal, and to bring purpose to life. So, Lord, for the ways we've grieved you, for the ways we've held your spirit off, Lord, together, we, whether here or at home, we just say we repent. We're sorry. Forgive us. And, Lord, we ask for your spirit to come in all of your magnificent power and glory and wisdom that is far beyond us to operate in our lives and through our lives today and this week. And we ask that you would be magnified and glorified through us in just tremendous, awesome ways. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.